you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. I'd like to just jump right into the scriptures and then into our theme this morning. You can follow with me on the screen if you don't have your Bible. John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Let's pause and pray. Father, as we jump into um, your word today, as we jump into this theme and continue the series we've been in to see our faith rooted, God, in your story and um, in a historical way um, to know that we're not alone. We have been, uh, we are part of um, followers of Christ over the centuries. And so right now we just invite you, welcome you um, to speak deeply into our hearts and lives, intersect us where we need it most today. God, say uh, much more than I can say And God, communicate much more than I can communicate in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have um, been in a series called The Creed, and we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed, an ancient document that has developed over centuries and the church has used for centuries in uh, portions and then in, in its entirety. And it's been helping us get rooted in our faith. And last week and this week are probably kind of like part one and part two in a sense because um, it's, it's two fundamental beliefs in Christianity, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Two core, core fundament, fundamental beliefs of Christianity, understanding that. And last week we said that Jesus' crucifixion is probably uh, the most uncontested fact, uncontested fact um, of Jesus' life. There was no one that would really contest historically that Jesus was crucified. We had said it's the one part in the creed and in the story of Christianity that atheists can affirm. Jesus was crucified. And today, I want to move to this next section, which is the resurrection. And this is a fact that many people often try and contest. The reality is, is everyone dies, right? Everyone will die at some point, all of us. But not many people have come back from the dead. So crucifixion and death, historically, even um, with all the information around it, people would you know, have a hard time contesting that Jesus died. But it's a little bit more difficult to say that Jesus rose from the dead. 
Last night I was with a few people from Westside and um, uh, Carlos was there. He serves on our setup team. And we were talking about sleep deprivation and how much we sleep and how little we sleep and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I don't know how it came up. And Carlos says, every night I die and every morning I resurrect. And we're like, what? And, and also, well, what, what do you mean by that? And uh, we got to know from many stories that he's a very heavy sleeper. <laughs> so he literally just completely conks out. And uh, we've heard some cool stories of him uh, missing a metro stop or a stop on the ATM uh, to get home or, uh, or even an exam when he was in college. And so it was really fun. So Carlos said I, said I could make fun of him today. Uh, he said I can share a story. But it was really cool to hear that. I go to bed dead, I wake up alive. Not many people can say that literally, right? Not many people can say that literally. And in the creed, we have this section of the creed, and I want to just read the second section again as we did last week, just to save us some time. If you can go to the middle slide there, Abigail. We're going to focus on this one section today, and it's the line that says, he descended to the dead on the third day he rose again. And like every uh, part of this creed, we use it as a springboard back into the story of God, back into um, the story of God's kingdom, back into the scriptures. So it's not just, it's not an ending point, it's actually a springboard into the fuller story. Now, to be honest, this section, at least the first line, can be a little bit strange, right? He descended to the dead. It it maybe sounds like a weird movie uh, when you just read that line in isolation, he descended to the dead. Is that relevant to say? Is it necessary? Is it important there, when you think about Easter weekend, um, we often meet on Good Friday, and we're meeting again Good Friday this year, April 14th, and then we meet on Easter Sunday. We reflect on, commemorate, uh, think about, uh, worship through, thinking about the death of Jesus Christ. And then Sunday we come together and we celebrate the risen Savior. But there's this moment in between those days that's not Good Friday, not Easter Sunday, it's called Holy Saturday. What makes it Holy That day on Easter weekend when you have no idea what to do or what it's about or should I be doing anything or not, what do you do on that Saturday? And yet that Saturday in the story, in the the kind of the chronological steps of what took place is so crucial because it makes Friday and Sunday very relevant. So we look at this line, he descended to the dead and it's a little bit strange And I want to just kind of clue us in to what happened here. First of all, what it doesn't mean. In about the 5th or 6th century, that word uh, was often replaced with he descended to hell. And that would confuse people. And I wouldn't really uh, kind of share that, that idea there. And one of the reasons why we would say Jesus didn't descend into hell is because the actual word is that we would read dead here and in the scriptures is the word Hades or Sheol, which means the place of the dead, a, a disembodied state. And we would say, Jesus didn't go to hell, he went to Hades, or to a place of the dead. In Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, it says this line, you will not abandon me to the place of the dead. That word is Hades, Sheol. That's the, that's the word we're focusing on. And sometimes, uh, in Catholic theology or in other places, sometimes people will, will use this phrase and make it think like Jesus went to hell. And kind of went with like some guns or something and started doing something. Uh, or what others might think had happened is that this whole theology around kind of purgatory has developed where people go to a waiting place and hope that they will come out of that place. 
Now, maybe Jesus went to that kind of place um, to help some people out of there. In the theology of purgatory, people often believe that someone, when they die, goes to this place, this waiting place, and other people have an opportunity to either pray for them or do something on their behalf or give money on their behalf in some way to get them out of this place. So just to kind of clear this up, if you're, when you read this line or when people ask you about it, Jesus didn't go to hell and he didn't go to purgatory. It's not meant that way. But what do we do know about it? We know that on the Saturday, in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Jesus was buried. You can read it in John 19, verse 38 to 42. Jesus was buried. And Jesus actually predicts this. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, he talks about the Son of Man coming to this. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, in a buried state. To really oversimplify this, he was in the tomb. We might say today he was in the ground, but he was in a tomb where they rested the dead. The, the whole, what's the point of all this? I mean, it might be like, well, that's kind of obvious, but the point is that Jesus really, really did die. No one was fooling around. Jesus actually died. And as we connect to last week, what we talked about, and I encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here, he died for a purpose. Hebrews 2 verse 9 connects us to last week's theme is this. He says, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Just look at the chronology, like kind of the flow of this. Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while. In other words, God becoming man, right? Though he was equal with God, didn't take that as something to grasp, but he took on the form of a human. And we read that in that line. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. The glory and honor, the climax of God's story that something significant happened at the cross during the crucifixion. There was a twist, like we said, in God's story or in the story. And God allowed his son to die for the sake of humanity. And something significant happened there. And we talked about that last week. But Jesus didn't just suffer and die. He stayed there for three days. In other words, he experienced this moment of separation. Before the cross, he prays to God his father. Why why have you forsaken me? Well, do I really need to take this cup? In other words, are you going to really let me die physically? And as he died, he takes the eternal effects of sin with him. Why is this a big deal before we even talk about resurrection? As Nathan talked about a couple of weeks ago about the, the virgin birth and conception of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was fully God and fully man. In other words, when Jesus became man, he took on all the limitations of what it means to be human. He took on the limitations of what it means to be human. The only difference is he was without sin. But every other limitation Jesus took upon him in his humanity. And that's so vital to understand because he took on the limitation of death. Jesus physically, literally died. Some people in the, in the first and second century, um, often known as the Gnostic Gospels, try and uh, you know, attempt to, 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 to figure out a way that this can't be possible. Like, it's impossible that if Jesus is really God, that he would die. And, and then if he's not God, maybe he died. But if he's really God, he can't die. Because how could God take on that material evil of death? 
And so Gnosticism often has this elitist view of, you know, there's, a, there's an elite, uh, um, what's the word, kind of inspiration or enlightenment that, take, that can take place in people that almost separates them from their humanity. And often Gnosticism would say like our skin and our bodies and human matter is, and, and material matter is evil. So how could God take on human flesh? And the early church fought against that idea because Jesus took on the fullness of humanity, took on the fullness of death. So books like the Da Vinci Code in the last you know, 10 years made Gnosticism a little bit more popular and books like that come out. But, but why was the, what was the fact that, that Jesus really did die? Why did it matter? And here's this line I want you to just consider. And it's helpful, not just for our faith. It's helpful when people talk to us and ask us questions about um, what, what's the core ideas of Christianity. And it's this line. Physical resurrection requires a physical death. Physical resurrection requires a physical death. That's really important to just grasp, to really come to terms with what really happened on that Saturday and then on that Sunday when Jesus eventually rose from the dead. See, death can only be followed by one thing. It's just death. Death can be followed by death. If you're dead, you're dead, and you continue to be dead for a day or two or three or five or ten or whatever the case may be. Unless resurrection happens, which doesn't happen to anybody I know. Is that, you know anybody who's been resurrected from the dead lately? Um, and so that Jesus descended to the dead is just as vital as him rising from the grave because it, it shows the power of his resurrection. So this short line in the creed comes up for a reason. It's the core of the gospel. Look at when Paul describes the core, core, core idea of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead and appeared to many. You see the flow of that. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He actually did this. He appeared to many and many and many people. And we can go on and look at that. So if Jesus really died, then the question is, well, what's resurrection? Well, I mean, every year around Easter time, like CNN and other people put kind of all these kind of documentaries together. I think there's one now called Finding Jesus. And like, look at the subtitle, Faith, Fact, and Forgery. And, and often, like, it's like nobody talks about Jesus on the news sites or CNN or other places until about five weeks to Easter. And then they kind of bring out these stories like, did Jesus really die? Did he really raise from the dead? Is Jesus' ancestry still alive today? Did, did he maybe slip out of the cross, not die, get married, and now him and his family live, well, him or his ancestors live in France somewhere on a vineyard, and nobody knows about them, right? And so these kind of theories come up often, often and normally a few weeks before Easter. So wait for different magazines to kind of have like uh, cover stories about this. Just kind of happens. But what did resurrection mean for a first century Jew? Here's a few, a few things that it was. Some Jews believed in uh, when someone died, sometimes an, their angel would appear. It's kind of strange to think about, but in Jewish theology and thought, this was one option that if they saw somebody post-death, it's possible they saw their angel. So there's this story in the book of Acts when Peter is sent to prison and his, his friends and the church think he's totally done. Hey, he's in prison and they're praying, but then Peter gets out of prison, he knocks on the door and there's a line in the book of Acts that says, oh my goodness, maybe this is Peter's ghost. 
Because in their Jewish mindset, there's a possibility that somebody who's dead, maybe they would see their ghost or an angel. So Jews believed this could be possible. There was also this idea that, that resurrection was spiritual. It wasn't physical, it was spiritual. That Jesus rose spiritually from the dead. That his energy and force and power were present, but not his physical body. That was an option. Another uh, really strong idea in Judaism, which also connects to Christianity, is that resurrection is future. That one day the dead will rise. That one day we will rise from the dead in God's new creation. These are some of the things that the Jews believed. One theory that came up that became popular, and even today people talk about it, it's it's this swoon theory. They call it swoon, S-W-O-O-N, that Jesus really didn't die, that he was beat up so bad, that he was scraped up so bad, that he had just a few ounces of breath left, and he was struggling to survive, and they took him away, but he never really died died. It's, it's kind of like, um, like maybe, maybe even a, think of a story like Castaway with Tom Hanks. He's lost. He's gone. He's trying so hard to survive. Nobody, everybody thinks he's dead and he's just trying so hard to survive. And in moment, of course he kind of gets back up to shape, but then somebody finds him. And when they come back in a sense, it's like, Oh my goodness, this guy rose from the dead. He never really died. Or think of like, if you guys, if anybody here was a 24 fan with Jack Bauer, right? Um, how many times did Jack Bauer die on 24? And, and then, of course, this whole CIA agent thing, it's like, okay, wait, let's pretend that he died. So give him some pills, drop his heartbeat to a murmur, close up the body bag, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a scene where Jack Bauer just like, <gasps> and he wakes up, right? And so we, we know this from movies, right? This injection to make it look like you're dead, and then you, you wake up again and... This is kind of like what the swoon theory is all about. People had this theory that maybe Jesus just never died. Maybe he was just beat up so bad, but he, he made it in the end. Why these theories? Part of the reason is there was so much evidence of resurrection that people were trying to figure out a way for this not to be true. So the Jew, think about it. The Jews asked Pilate to crucify him. They didn't want it to be true. The Romans, who were really good at killing people, they would be embarrassed there was, if there was one thing that Rome was good at, they were good at making sure the people they killed remained dead. They didn't want dead people to get up. They wanted dead people to be dead. And that's what the crucifixion was. And I mentioned last week from different historical perspectives that it was the most cruciating, disgusting, horrific type of torture that its only goal was to leave those people dead. So it leaves one conclusion, that Jesus physically rose from the dead. One author says this. He says, God did for Jesus in the middle of history what the Jews hoped he would do for Israel at the end of history. God did for Jesus in the middle of history what Israel thought and hoped God would do for them at the end of history. In other words, God kind of like takes the future, brings it into the present, and rises his son from the grave and from the dead and says, this is the hope. This is the hope. It's true. And, and this is the beauty and power of resurrection and why physical resurrection is so vital. And when people talk about it or ask us about it or ask questions about it, it's so important to realize physical resurrection required a physical death. Jesus really died, and therefore he really rose from the dead. Here's, here's a question, though. If the resurrection didn't happen... 
How do you explain certain things? And, and that's important to know because you think about it. How do you explain certain things if Jesus didn't die from the dead? For example, his, if his follow, if Jesus didn't die from the dead, uh, didn't rise from the dead, it's very possible that his followers would have just likely abandoned him. This happened all the time. There was a Messiah that propped up in, uh, in, in kind of Jewish culture. People would follow that person. That person would die. The followers would disperse. Right? This was a common thing. Uh, and even up until today, there's this kind of idea that a Messiah will pop up. And when they realize it's not the Messiah, the followers disperse. And so that following becomes weak. But in their case, the followers didn't, didn't disperse. They got stronger. They got bolder. They got bigger. They grew more people. Another thing hard to explain is that the Jewish followers of Christ abandoned all their other resurrection theories. This theory of an angel, this theory of a spiritual resurrection, um, the exclusivity that only in the end times will resurrection take place. They didn't abandon that fully, but they, they realized, oh, this is different. This is real. This is serious. And so the Jewish ideas of resurrection got pushed to the side, and they were promoting, talking about, proclaiming this physical resurrection. In other words, Jewish beliefs of resurrection was vague and kind of uh, with many options. But the Christian belief of resurrection was crisp and clear. It's only one answer. What's resurrection? Physical resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. There's no other kind of resurrection in this new mindset that these followers of Jesus discovered. Because there was no other way to explain it. Another thing hard to explain if the resurrection didn't happen is this reckless kind of spirit that the early church had. They hung out with everybody and anybody. They were the ones that hung out with, with the lepers. They were those who hung out with the people with incredibly contagious diseases. They were the ones who buried the dead when Rome wouldn't bury the dead. And they exposed themselves to all kinds of health risks as, that, that came around just to help people. And one of the reasons they, they, they were emboldened to do that is they believed that Jesus rose from the dead and his promise that they one day will rise from the dead. In other words, they didn't fear death. And it's hard to explain why Christians would just, um, you know, kind of not, not want, but withstand the, the, cruci- the, the, the persecution of Rome and, and the, the, the incredible um, physical torture that took place for some of the Christians in the early church, they stood firm in torture and execution. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I mean, that's it for them. It was over. Whether it was exposing themselves to sickness or withstanding the physical um, death from the Romans. If Jesus didn't die from the dead, it's hard to explain the unplanned, spontaneous stories we read in the gospel. For instance, it was women who first saw Jesus at the tomb. In a modern-day culture, that's totally fine. That's cool. But in that day, women didn't have a credible witness in that culture. So for the, the, the writers of these stories to specifically put, if they wanted people to believe, they wouldn't have said the women saw Jesus first. But it was, this, in a sense, unplanned, spontaneous writing how we discover and how we read about Jesus' resurrection and his post-resurrection and how he hung out with the disciples and all these things. It was a real kind of simple way of telling the story, not many, not embellishments. Basically, we saw him. It's true. It's real. Blah, this is what happened. <laughs> and you read it. And if Jesus didn't, didn't rise from the dead, it's hard to explain how those stories were told. I think another one is like, if there's a dead Messiah, what do the disciples do? I mean, think about it. 
they were all in, three and a half years. What would they do if their Messiah was really dead? I mean, they, they could find another Messiah, because sometimes new Messiahs popped up. They could go back to fishing. They knew how to do that. But they didn't do that. Most of them eventually died proclaiming this risen Savior. They died proclaiming him. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is futile. Paul says, if, Jesus, if this didn't happen, our faith means nothing. And I think the last thing that really helps us understand, like, if this didn't happen, how do we explain this explosive movement of people coming to follow this dead Messiah? How would you explain that? Unless he rose from the grave. Think about it. These early followers and all throughout history reordered their lives. They reoriented their lives, their, their thinking, their faith, their, their beliefs, their worldview around the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. All their preaching was centered on it. All their preaching, if you come down to the core idea of it, in Acts 2, verse 24, Peter says, God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. It's the core idea. That's what they preached. I was listening to, um, or reading an article by Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, who you know, got some flack around some of the things he said, and people started to kind of question some things. And he said, I love what he said at one point. He says, you know what? Talking to people that were listening to him, he said, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, let's talk. Why would Andy Stanley say that 2,000 years later? Because as Christians, that's the core belief of our faith. That Jesus rose from the dead. And how do you explain the lives changed and the explosive growth over three centuries, the first three centuries, that literally Christianity just exploded with growth in a culture that persecuted them, that hurt them, that marginalized them, that questioned them, that poked them, that, 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 that belittled them. They exploded in growth. Most people can't explain the exponential growth of the church if it was centered around a dead person. You just can't. Tim Keller says this. He, he, um, he said that at one moment in his life, he was very sick for a while, and he read through one of N.T. Wright's a huge 800-page book on the resurrection of Jesus, and he, he came to this beautiful... He said, I was so happy to have the time to read this book. Um, and he says this, there's no historically viable alternative explanation for the birth of the Christian church than the fact that the early Christians thought they saw Jesus Christ and touched him and that he raised from the dead. There is no historically viable alternative explanation for the birth of the Christian church. In other words, physical resurrection requires a physical death because physical resurrection in Jesus' case is real. And N.T. Wright says this, what does it mean? It means going through the dead and coming out the other side in a new physical mode of existence. You literally, that's what Jesus did. He died literally, physically, and he physically rose from the dead. When we read this line in the creed, he descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. That's the crux of our faith. That's the heart of of what it means to know and believe and follow Jesus. And it's that power that changes people, that power that transforms us, that power that, like we heard some of the stories today, start to call us deeper into discovering who Jesus is to the point where we follow him and love him and serve him. And here's, here's the thing. There's an, avoidable, an unavoidable challenge. What do you do with that? 
What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? If he really rose from the dead, what do you do with him? You can't call him a liar. If he really rose from the dead, you can't call him a lunatic like C.S. Lewis asked about. You have to really come to grips and say, oh man, if Jesus really died from the, rose from the dead, what do I do with this? And one thing is for sure, he's real. He is who he said he was. He did what he said he would do. He accomplished God's purpose. He lived out God's story as, as it was meant to be played out. He fully, fully saw this through and God raised him from the dead and exalted him. It's one of the implications there. But here's another implication and it's this. Death is not the end. And I don't want to say this in a cliche way. We don't call people to follow Jesus to say, listen, you're going to die one day. I got great news for you. There's this guy, Jesus, and he's going to prevent that from happening. That's not, the, that's not necessarily the, the message that we just have to lead into people about Christianity. But this is a truth. Death is not the end with Jesus. Because he died and rose from the dead and he pulled, in a sense, the future into the present and demonstrated this is, what, this is God's promise for you in Christ, it means death is not the end. You ever think about culture's preoccupation with death? Think about it. How many things, how many advertisements do you see that prevent you and me from getting old, from getting weaker, from eventually dying? How many, how many certain pills that have come out or certain procedures, you know, I have a friend who's, um, who has a clinic and, you know, you can spend a thousand bucks to get a, a really expensive blood work done because you will know exactly what kind of disease you will, well, maybe you will die with. And if you know that, then you can make changes and you can prevent or maybe extend your life for 10 years. There's all kinds of things. I mean, it's incredible the kind of death prevention our culture is enamored with. Why is that true? And of course, it's, you know, it's kind of like disguised with great marketing and great advertisements and all that kind of stuff. And I get it, right? But why is that the case? Because we're dying. There's something you just cannot camouflage. All of us, all of us are dying. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, as I'm now into my 40s, I realize I'm dying faster. I just... (laughs) You know, I, I, I feel it more and I, it, 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 you know, I can sense it and my back tells me all the time. And, you know, and then I, then I start to worry and think maybe I should go see the doctor because of this, you know, I have this pain here and what if it's not just my back? What if it's something else? And maybe, and, and, and why is that? Because life is limited. Life is finite, finite. And yes, I believe in the resurrection, but I'm being honest. I can only physically hold touch this. I believe it's going to happen. I believe that's God's promise for me. But humanity is stuck with death. But the resurrection says death is not the end. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Isn't that amazing? The one who lives in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks us the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? There's, in a sense, resurrection in our DNA activated by our faith in Jesus Christ. The next time you fall ill, the next time you feel like you're failing, the next time you feel 
week, the next time you're fearful about your future, the next time you hesitate to risk in serving someone, the next time you feel the the desire to to self-preserve yourself because you know that you're limited and you're finite, remember, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will live, even though they die. And Jesus asks us, do you believe this? Do we believe this? It's so vital. And it's not just about death, but it's about, or after death, it's about today. Look at the lives that, of the people who followed Jesus. And I, I want to kind of bring this back uh, maybe during Easter time. But think about Peter, who denied Jesus three times and f- completely gave, almost gave up. And look at him post-resurrection, his boldness, his character, his, 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 his belief, his trust. I think of like Jesus' brother James. It's pretty awesome. We don't hear much about James only in the book of Acts because he became the, the anchor of the church in Jerusalem. But before the resurrection, James, Jesus' brother, was like, my, my brother's a little crazy. Talks, he's like, he's apparently God. Um, we don't really associate with him much. I'm really sad that he's hurting me that he's dying, but I don't think he... We never hear about James because James doesn't believe Jesus, his own brother, but where do we, what do we see after the resurrection? James becomes the anchor of the church in Jerusalem. Why? We can't explain that outside the resurrection. Oh man, my brother, he really is God's son. He really rose from the dead. Why did I dismiss him? And he follows. And let me just ask this question. What might God do through you, through me, if the resurrected Jesus becomes your Lord, becomes my Lord? becomes the source of your life, becomes the source of my life. What might God do through you and me if we truly believe Jesus when he says, do you believe this? And he becomes our Lord and Savior. And then lastly, think about the honesty we can have with our struggles and our hurts. So many of us feel bound by the mistakes we make, by the sin we fall into, even if we're following Jesus. And the beauty of the resurrection is Jesus defeated sin on the cross for you and me. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to pretend that we're better than we are. We don't need to pretend that we don't sin. It's not a a, a license to sin, but it's recognizing that when we sin, even in our failures, in our weakest moments, Jesus died and rose from the grave to defeat that. And we now have the freedom not to pretend. We can be honest. We can be open. We can be transparent. We can be a community of grace because Jesus defeated the eternal effects of sin on the cross. So you can be transformed and and, and you can grow into something new and you can overcome. And even when you fall back or fail or mess up, the resurrection says Jesus took that sin on the cross. That's why Christianity is not spelled D-O, doing, 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 doing. Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It was done on the cross. Jesus took it, he died, and then he rose from the grave. He did it. I'm going to ask you to stand as we come to a close this morning. And maybe as we, we have this, just this final moment, um, you know, this, this, this path, this path of death to resurrection, it physically happened with Jesus. But it's also a model for us. It's also a path for us. Not to physically die. That's not the call. It's that all resurrection requires death. And your resurrected life requires you and me to die to our sins. To follow the downward path of mobility that Jesus walked.
Philippians 2, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He took on the form of a servant and he became obedient to death. It was a downward mobility. But God exalted him and rose him from the dead. And so all resurrection requires death. And if you're, you're saying, I'm, I'm looking for that kind of transformation. I'm looking for what happened to Peter. I love to see what happened to James. I love to hear these stories of just, you know, like people following Jesus and, and experiencing God's power. And that, that upward sense comes from a downward mobility first, where we die to our sin. We die with Jesus. We are buried with Jesus. And then we rise with Jesus. It's the beauty of baptism. Paul says our baptism is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So resurrection requires death. It's all a path we must take. We must come to Jesus and surrender and say, Jesus, I'm going to die with you. I want my sin to die with you. I want my pride to die with you. I want my, you know, my agenda to die with you and watch how God raises you up in him. That's the path to take. We're going to pray together, and I want to just close um, with, this, with this call to this kind of life. It's from Colossians verse 1 to 4, and we're just going to read it in a sense as a proclamation over us. Listen, listen to what Paul says. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And look at this. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When we die with Christ, we rise with him. Let's pray. Bless you, Jesus. And just as we pray in this moment, if there's any of you here today that you're feeling the Lord just leading you, calling you to give everything for him, to literally say, Jesus, I want to die with you. I want my sin and my pride and my agenda to die as you died. I want to give you everything because I know life is only found in you. If that's you in this moment, tell that to God. Tell that to him. Just pray that out to him. It's called repentance. It's it's saying, Lord, I am going the wrong way. And I want to die to this way and follow your way. That's you. You can even pray in a simple way as I'll lead you. Father, I recognize that I need to die with Christ because I see the beauty and power and fullness of the resurrection. And I want to walk this path of trust and surrender to Jesus because I believe that life is found in him. So I confess my faith in Jesus. Confess him as Lord and embrace your salvation. Embrace your life. Amen. Father, thank you for this this morning. Thank you for the celebration we've had. Thank you for this time we had to worship and celebrate your gloriousness. 
Thank you for the stories of spiritual journeys um, where we can walk with one another, pray for one another, and uh, celebrate where we are in our spiritual journey and keep uh, praying for each other as we keep moving forward and closer to you. God, we, and we just thank you so much for the physical resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that the theories have been dispelled and the unexplainable accounts of what took place. Oh God, we say thank you and we stand on this truth together. And we ask you, Lord, that you would empower us and give us the grace, as we just read, since we've been raised with Christ. God, we pray for our minds and our hearts and our lives to rise with him, to to follow sweet, to, to live in such a way, God. Empower us this way. Lord, we thank you for this and celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen.